Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. When we look at the Christian faith, there are many theological points that describe it. There are two main aspects of being saved that happen to everybody who is truly saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the first is justification. If you are saved, you have been justified. Justified literally means being made right with God. So God no longer holds anything against you. God no longer is judging your sin. You have made, been made right with God. The way that that works is that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, takes his righteousness and puts it on you like a robe. It is not your righteousness. You do not earn this righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness put there by God the Father. And so you as a person, when you are saved, you are 100% fully and completely saved. Christ's righteousness is put on you. You are justified, but still in your heart of hearts, You are the person you were before you were saved. You do get the Holy Spirit, and one thing salvation does for you is it gives you a choice. You can now look at a situation and choose righteousness. You can choose God's way as opposed to your own way, which is pretty much your only option before you knew Jesus Christ. And so you have this great salvation, acceptance. You are, as it says in Ephesians, in the heavenly places. But all of us are still back here physically, mentally, emotionally. The space between where you are today and where God is going to put you when it's all over and you're finally glorified is a space of sanctification. God wants to make you holy. Jesus said, be holy like I am holy. And most of us look at that and go, "Eh, I can't do it, and go on to the next verse. But what God is saying through his word is that there is a process that is a lifelong process where you are made more Christ-like every day that you live as a Christian until such time as God calls you home and the work of sanctification is completed in an instant and you are made perfectly holy. Until then, we have to work toward this. Now, there is a discussion amongst Christians and amongst Christian sects as to how much I participate in the sanctification and how much God participates in this sanctification. 
I will be presenting the standard Baptist view, which is, I do some, God do, does some. There are some, you may have heard this phrase before, let go and let God. I can just sit down and God will do all this sanctifying work. There's other people who say, no, 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 God helps those who help themselves. So I've got to do a lot of work on these sorts of things. These two verses give us two sides of the sanctification coin. Today we shall work on what I do. What is my place? What am I supposed to do in this sanctification? Next week in verse 13 is what does God do? And how percentage-wise, 50-50, 30 70 10 90 varies per person, actually. And it is God who ultimately does all the work, for it is God who saves us and even gives us the opportunity to be sanctified. And so Paul is writing, and we have to understand that in sanctification, I'm not earning anything. I'm not earning God's favor. I'm not doing something so God will love me more. I, in many ways, what I'm doing is my salvation's up here. I see it. I know it. I know I'm saved. I know what it means. Now I have to live up to it. I have to live like someone who's saved by grace. Okay, we are saved by grace. And so when we look at this, we're going to look at it Word for word. It starts in verse 12, therefore. And as I said last week, when you have a therefore, you have to say, what is it therefore? This verse, verse 12, is a conclusion of thought. And so what did Paul say before this to bring about this conclusion of thought? There's two main things that come in the verses before. First of all, Jesus emptied himself became the form of a servant, followed to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So we have this view of Jesus Christ as being the servant who died for us and is glorified ultimately because of it. And what is our response is what Paul is saying. And he's saying, therefore, we have to work. He calls the people at Philippi, my beloved. My beloved is a sense of endearment. He cares about these people. They are his loved church. And throughout scripture, you see Paul and James and John calling people beloved, not just friends, but somebody who is loved by God, somebody who is loved by me. And we can view Christians this way, the understanding that these people that are around you are going to be with you for all of eternity. So therefore, you can be nice to them, you can actually love them, and they can become your beloved friends. We can have beloved friends 
and beloved Christian friends in this world. And it is a way of telling somebody that you love them with the love of Christ. It's a way of participating in their life because Christ is not physically here. I can be Christ's hands and feet, as it were, in serving one another. He says, as you have always obeyed, and the base part of sanctification, when you say, well, what do I do in sanctification? You obey, and you obey Jesus Christ, and you obey the teachings of Jesus Christ. For us, it is not, some people do this, it is not as useful. You go back and say, well, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments, okay? But you follow the Ten Commandments with the way Jesus followed the Ten Commandments. You are not Jewish. The Old Testament law does not apply to modern Christians as a way of obedience. We do what Jesus said, and I have handed this out before, and I will do it again. There are actually 49 very clear commands that Jesus gave, and you say, well, that's a lot. Well, if you're a Jew, you have 613. So it isn't quite as many as your average Jew, but Jesus said specific things like, follow me. And so if you are a Christian, you have obeyed for all eternity the follow me command, so you've only got 48 others. So it isn't an onerous list, it is a list that I will hand out next week. But we, when we say obey, that's who we are obeying. We are obeying Jesus Christ. And then he says, so now not only as in my presence, but also in my absence. And this is what we would call today, we would call uh, integrity. Where if somebody is watching you, you are a very obedient Christian. But as soon as they stop watching you and you're alone, you live like the devil, okay? That is not how Christianity is supposed to work because ultimately, God is always watching us. We are always being viewed by God. The Holy Spirit is within you, watching you that way. So God always sees how you are obeying or not. And today it is, it is condemned and it is seen as a strange thing that if you are alone, that if you are uh, apart from a work group or something like that, you can do whatever you want, that you behave this way with this group, you behave this way with this group, you do whatever you need to do to survive is what is being preached today in the world, and God is saying, no, 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 you are the same. In this group, you are the same. In this place, you are the same. In the restaurant, you're the same everywhere. And that is what we call integrity. Integrity means complete or the same. If you have integrity, it means I can follow you around and you're the same person everywhere, no matter who you are with. And so Paul is saying, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you need to obey him and you need to obey him consistently no matter where you're at 
or you're, no matter who you are with. Then he gets to the difficult part that people want to skip over. He says, but, uh, but much more in my absence, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And some people look at that and say, can't be right because that says I have to work for my salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. And we shall look at what that means. We have to understand fully and completely that we are saved by grace. That I do not buy anything from God. I do not earn anything from God. God is not impressed with what I do and save me because I'm such a great guy. Okay? We are all lost. We are all desperately wicked. We are all totally depraved. And we come out of the womb against God. And it is God who changes things and saves us out of that situation. And so we look at verses like Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. It says, For by grace have you been saved? Through faith it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He then goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the theology that is being presented in the New Testament is that God saved you and that salvation has nothing to do with works. And our response to that, our reaction to the salvation that God has given us, is to do good works is to live like you're saved, okay? It isn't like you're just saved and then go sit in a corner somewhere. You need to live like you're saved. And so, a couple things here. It says, work out your own salvation with fear, okay? Fear in the Bible has a bad rap. The Bible says... Uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Fear of God, you get wisdom. Okay? And that has been turned around to mean reverence. I no longer fear God, I just like Him a lot. And when you read the Bible and you have words like fear, and the word for fear here is phobos, where we get phobia. It's a real terror. It's an absolute quaking fear. Okay, at what you're doing, and we have to be very careful to not so minimize it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. If you are fearing God, what does it mean? First and foremost, it means you don't trust yourself. You say, what? You don't trust yourself, meaning you get an idea, and it's a clever idea. You're going to do something for somebody, or do something to somebody. 
And you get this idea if you fear God. And we've talked about this before. You have to test whether that is the Holy Spirit or whether that's your own goofy thoughts about what you should do. Remember, even when I'm saved, I still have a sin nature. I have a heart that is going from stone to flesh. And that's why Paul, throughout his books, his letters, says you get to choose to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Even as a saved person, I have the opportunity, the availability to sin in a very evil, wicked way. I can be, if I wanted to, quite evil. But God is saying in his word, don't choose that. Choose righteousness, because both of those things exist in you. And so when I get a thought, somebody calls me and says, hey, let's go do this. Some, you know, any way a new thing comes where a choice is allowed. Perhaps you're turning on the TV after church and you have 2,000 channels. I got a call the other day. There's a new cable company and he offered me 2,000 channels. And I, I, inconceivable. What can you watch in 2,000 channels? But that's the choices we have. You, have. you have Facebook, and you have YouTube, and you have things on your phone that can uh, entertain you, and you have thousands and thousands, if not a million choices every day of what to put in. And if you fear God, you don't trust yourself to make the right choice without any input from God. And so some people would consider it a throwaway choice or meaningless to pray before you turn on the TV. However, if you want to walk by the Spirit in everything you do, a little give me wisdom, Lord, before I turn on the TV is not a bad idea because it may direct you towards something that isn't necessarily Christian programming, but at least it's not evil, okay? There's very entertaining things on TV that are not, they don't glorify God directly, but at least they're not evil, okay? And if we can be directed by that, if I can pray for wisdom, and the great thing about praying for wisdom is it's a promise in Scripture. If you pray for wisdom, God's going to give it to you. Okay? There's nothing about cars or wealth or anything like that in Scripture that if you pray for it, you'll get it. But if you pray for wisdom, you're going to get it. That is a promise. You want to stand on a promise from Scripture? Stand on that one. Pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom every day for the people I know, for you and for me. I pray for wisdom. I would like this church to be a wise church. 
and I would like that wisdom to come from God and not the world, and so I pray for that sort of wisdom. And so I don't trust myself. If I really fear God, I don't trust myself without checking with Him. Now, if I've prayed about this and read Scripture and things like this, and I get this great idea, and I'm pretty much assured that it matches what I've been reading, then you're not trusting yourself. But if I am apart from the Word of God, if I'm apart from prayer, and I'm just looking for good ideas to do, and things come, or unsaved friends come and try to have me, you know, join them in their fun stuff, I don't trust that. I immediately stop and say, well, I need to pray about this. How is my Bible reading? Does what I'm about to do glorify God, or at least isn't evil? Okay? And in doing so, it's not that you hate yourself or never believe yourself. You just don't trust the first thought you have. You don't trust what your heart says to do because God has to validate things and God needs to change our heart and give us the wisdom to choose. The second thing is we have a sensitive conscience. I am aware of when I hear somebody give a prayer request or somebody comes through those doors and they're kind of, you know, down or looking, you know, sad or something. I, we need to be aware of that. We need to have a conscience that is sensitive to other people's situations so that we can help one another, pray for one another on Sunday, that if I fear God, I will care for his people the way he cares for his people. If I fear God, I'm on a guard against temptation. I just don't think that everything is good and great. I look and I say, well, wait a minute. Is Satan trying to get my goat here? Is Satan trying to throw something at me? I'm on guard. I'm aware that there is temptation all the time to put myself in front of God, to put myself above God. And if I fear God... I'm going to watch for that. I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. I'm going to slow down and say, well, what is this? And look at things and be just aware that we are tempted thousands of times a day to sin against God. And we need to just be aware of that and watch for that. If I fear God, I have no pride. If I am full of pride, I'm on my own throne. If I'm on my own throne, God is not on the throne. And so if I fear God, I have no pride. So I need to be on the guard of where I'm putting myself first or my own ideas first. We need to watch for and avoid anything that dishonors God. When I was growing up, one test that the Sunday school teachers gave me is that if I am watching TV, could I invite Jesus to sit next to me to watch this TV with me? And, you know, as a kid, it's a great way to go, oh, you know, what am I watching? 
And that we kind of forget that when we're an adult, but you can do that sort of thing. You can say, if, if God is in the same room, which he is, would he, could I discuss this TV show with him? Could I discuss this book with him? Could I discuss this game with him? And him not just be so disgusted at what I'm doing. Uh, we, we, we try to avoid things that dishonor God. And we make sure, lastly, if you are a fear of God, you make sure that what you believe is the truest belief you can have. You don't take shortcuts on your belief. You check everything you believe with Scripture and with your church. And then it says trembling. And that sort of trembling is actually quaking. The weight of what we're doing, serving God, is a very heavy, important weight. It is the most important thing you will ever do. If you think back of the important dates in your life, living for God, being a servant of God, a voluntary servant for God. Remember, you walked into this, okay? God did not chain you up and force you to do anything, okay? God made an offer, you said, I accept this offer. I will take this offer. You now have to take it seriously and learn all you can about it and learn all you can about God to make sure that what you truly believe, what you say you believe, is really what is true. And so when you work it out, I am living this way. I am living in a way that honors God and I am working out the daily things of my salvation. What does a saved person do? What is a saved person who takes it seriously and really fears God? What do they do? And what do they do this afternoon? And what do they do tomorrow? And these are the kinds of proactive questions. It's very easy in America to just let life happen to you and to react to things that happen. But if we are proactive in our Christianity, if we are saying, well, I'm going to plan to be a better Christian. You hear people say that, like Mike did earlier today. You want to be better. And the idea of being better means that you are serving God better than you did yesterday. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if you were to look in the mirror or if you were to grab 10 people off the street who know you and say, who do I live for? They might say food. They might say cars. They might, might say God. If they say God, then you're doing it right, okay? It needs to be your job. It needs to be your hobby. It needs to be what you are doing every day to live up to God. God wants you to have fun. God wants you to enjoy. This is not drudgery. This is not slavery. Okay, even that term is used here and there. This is a attempt to live up to what you say you believe. And so we reflect Christ. 
We are saved by grace, okay? We are saved by grace through faith, not of my own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no boasting, okay? I am not more saved than you, okay? For we are his workmanship. God saved you to be something and to do something before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light. He saw you. He knew you. He knew you would be a follower. And he began planning your life and your works to serve him way back then. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this truth, for this understanding, and pray that you would put a daily practice into our minds of how to serve you and how to do things to serve you. Lord, we praise you for your salvation and we praise you for this time of remembrance and we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.